Please open your Bible or the Pew Bible up to Amos chapter 5. This week we come to the halfway point of the book of Amos. So far it's been almost unrelenting judgment. The judge is God, who's like a lion roaring from Zion. Judgment begins with the nations in the first two chapters. Fire is sent out to punish them for their crimes against humanity. And then judgment comes to God's own people, Israel and Judah. As we saw last week, God has already sent various disasters on Israel as chances to return, to repent. But Israel has not yet returned to God. In Amos 5 that we're about to read, the judgment continues, but we also see a glimmer of hope, a possibility of life for Israel. Listen for that note as we read this passage. This passage is artfully structured as a sandwich or a series of concentric circles. It begins and ends with lament, and then there's parallel calls to seek the Lord and seek good. And then right in the middle, there's this contrast between Israel's character and God's character. And in the very center is this hymn to God the Creator and Sovereign Lord of History. Listen now as I read Amos uh, 5, 1 through 17. Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen no more to rise is the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land with none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth, he who made Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning, and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash forth against the strong, so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves in the gate. They abhor the one who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, You have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have said. Hate evil and abolish good, and establish, or sorry, hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, 
In all the squares there shall be wailing. In all the streets they shall say, Alas, alas. They shall call the farmers to mourning and to wailing, those who are skilled in lamentation. And in all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. This is God's word. Imagine you turn up to church next Sunday, and as you walk in from the parking lot, you notice through the window in the fellowship hall that there's ham rolls and potato salad set out on the tables. Odd, you think, but you continue in. You notice as you come in the sanctuary, the lights are dimmed, and I'm in my black suit and tie. We begin with a hymn by the sea of glass, and then I begin the call to worship. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You're thinking, what is going on here? I continue, we are gathered together today to remember Wiser Lake Chapel, a once vibrant and living church, now dead. Well, that's how Amos 5 begins. God calls the house of Israel to hear this lamentation, this funeral dirge sung over the house of Israel. Israel is like a young maid, cut down in the prime of her life. Cut down without children, abandoned, alone, with none to raise her up or bury her. It's a pitiful scene. And in verse 3, God drives the point home. This is you, Israel. When your city sends out a thousand, only a hundred will come back. It's, It's sending out soldiers to war. And then when you send out that hundred to defend the city, only ten will come back. Israel's forces will be reduced by 99%. It's an utter defeat. And then at the end of our passage, in verses 16 and 17, God says this funeral dirge will be taken up by all people. Even the farmers will be called in from their city to act as mourners. There will be wailing in the streets. The whole nation will lament. Is Israel's destruction then a foregone conclusion? Is there no hope? After all, the funeral is already in process. Actually, there might be a hope. There may be a chance. There's three aspects of this hope that Amos holds before us this morning that I want to look at. The first is this. Seek God, not tradition. Seek God, not tradition. See there in verses 4 and 6, it's twice repeated. The Lord calls, seek me and live. And Amos echoes in the third person, seek the Lord and live. It's an unconditional call. It might be too late. Nevertheless, it's the right thing to do, to seek the Lord, to pursue him, to follow him. And it's Israel's only hope. Seek God. But between these two calls to seek the Lord in verses 4 and 6, there's a contrast. Do you see that in the middle in verse 5? But do not seek Bethel. Do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Each of these cities, Gilgal, Bethel, Beersheba, were considered to be holy sites. They each had a long tradition of worship going back to Israel's ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So there was a thousand-year tradition of worshiping the Lord in these different cities. 
They're like the um, national cathedral of the day. But God warns Israel, don't just follow tradition. Don't just go to those places because it's where people have gone for a thousand years. Seek me. Don't go to Bethel or Gilgal. Don't even cross the border to Judah to go down to Beersheba. Seek me. Maybe you've heard this story before of a girl who's watching her mother get ready, prepare Christmas dinner for the whole extended family. And the mother's making a roast, and she, before she cooks it, she cuts both ends off the roast and then puts it in the pan and puts it in the oven. And the daughter asks, well, why are you cutting the ends off the roast? And the mother answers, well, that's how I learned to do it from my mother. So the daughter goes out in the other room and finds the grandmother, and she says, well, why do you cut the ends off the roast before you put it in the oven? And the grandmother answers, I cut the ends off my roast because it wouldn't fit in my pan. Okay, so it's just a tradition with no meaning behind it. The way many of us learn to cook is by watching our parents cook. And you pick up little things you don't get from a recipe or a cookbook. So tradition isn't all bad. It's being brought up in a way of doing things. But if we do things simply because it's the way it's always been done, we may be cutting off the ends of the roast for no reason. Likewise, churches get caught up in traditions, doing things the way they've always been done, and miss actually seeking God. There's a variety of obvious ways that both the Roman Catholic Church and mainline Protestant churches fall into this trap of seeking tradition instead of God. That's not to say everyone in those churches doesn't seek God, but there's, there's some obvious ways that they fall into those pitfalls. But for a moment, I want to focus on the danger that faces us here in our church. Ways that tradition may replace seeking God for us. Some of us have hobby farms, and there's nothing wrong with that. If we had enough space, we would probably have a hobby farm too. But if you come to our little country church because the building is picturesque, we sing traditional hymns, the potlucks are quaint and charming, if that's the reason you're here, you're missing the point. One pitfall is that this becomes a hobby church to go with your hobby farm. Another pitfall is to cling to our comfortable customs. For you, church is like a favorite pair of sneakers that are well broken in. They're comfortable to put on. We sit where we sit, we sing what we sing, we say what we say, all because that's the way we've always done it. It's comfortable, it's familiar. Again, there's nothing wrong with it being comfortable to be at church, although certainly Amos puts us on our toes. But sometimes our comfortable customs can actually get in the way of welcoming new people into our congregation. And when our comfortable customs come into conflict with Jesus' call to make disciples of all people, we're faced with a choice. Will we seek God or tradition? Finally, even our creeds and catechisms can become tradition, simply tradition. We can affirm all the right things on paper, but if we aren't using our creeds and catechisms as a framework, as tools for seeking the living God of Israel, then we've missed the point. Seek God, not tradition. Consider now a second aspect of the hope that Amos offers. Seek God and be changed. Seek God and be changed. In the center of this passage, verses 7 through 13, we see this contrast 
between God's character and Israel's character. Look first at God's character in verses 8 and 9. Amos seems here to be citing some lines from a hymn, perhaps a hymn of praise to God Almighty, the Creator and Sovereign Lord of history that might have even been sung at Bethel and Gilgal. He made Pleiades and Orion, two constellations that seem to have been associated with the changing of seasons in ancient Israel. He turns deep darkness into morning and darkens the day into night. God's power is apparent through the changing of the seasons and the changing of the days. But we don't see his power only in creation. Amos also alludes to the flood. When God calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out onto the surface of the earth. And God also sends destruction like flashes of lightning against the strong and their strongholds. Remember, the biblical flood story is not just like these terrible floods happening in Europe, a chance uh, thing that happens. In Genesis 6, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually, and that the earth was filled with violence. In Genesis, this flood that God sends is a punishment on evil. The natural and moral orders collide, both under God's sovereign rule. What then of the character of God's people? Amos says God turns darkness into morning and day into night, but in verse 7 we see Israel also turning something into something else. Israel is full of those who turn justice into wormwood and cast down righteousness. Israel's society should be sweet, diffused with justice and righteousness, but instead, justice has been turned into something bitter, into something sour, into wormwood. Israel's character is further described in verses 10 through 12. Not only is Israel perverting justice, but they hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. In ancient Israel, the gate of the city is where elders and judges would meet to decide legal cases. So Amos is here referring to the court system. He says Israel despises just judges, the one who reproves, and they can't stand honest witnesses. Moreover, they trample on the poor and exact taxes of grain from him. These taxes might be legal, but they aren't ethical. They burden the poor so that the well-to-do, the king and his officials, can build hewn stone mansions surrounded by pleasant vineyards. In short, Amos says at the end of verse 12, they are attackers of righteous, takers of bribes. They are those who shove aside the needy in the gate. Not a pretty picture. But perhaps some of this sounds familiar. A society where the ultra-wealthy build extravagant mansions and pay almost no taxes while the poor foot foot the bill. Maybe you saw the recent pro-Republica investigation that found that Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, and other ultra-rich have in the last decade gone various years without paying any income tax whatsoever. Amos describes a society where the court system can be manipulated by the wealthy. Charles Colson uh, famously said that in our court system you can get away with anything if you have enough money to hire the right lawyers. Amos describes a, a society where the legal system is so complex 
that the needy can't find justice. Perhaps this picture sounds a bit familiar. Well, Amos contrasts the character of God with that of God's people to drive home a point. We should seek God in order to be changed. In his commentary, Alec Matir paraphrases Amos here, describing the worship at Bethel, Gilgal, and Beersheba. He writes, They go, they sing, they come away, and nothing, simply nothing has changed. Justice is still turned sour, and righteousness is still overthrown. Perhaps you've noticed a particular, a certain kind of tourist who pulls up at Artist Point or the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls, and they snap a picture on their phone, and then they get back in their car, and they're on their way. They've been there, done that, and they have a picture on Instagram to prove it. And you want to say, hang on a second. Just pause. Experience the awe and wonder of what we're seeing here, of the Grand Canyon or Artist Point, Mount Baker. Pause for a minute. Soak it in. And that seems to be what Amos is saying, drawing attention to here. The Israelites' timelines were full of pictures from Bethel Pilgrimage 754. They've been there. They go up to the church. They take the pictures, and then they go away. But although they come to these traditional altars where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob worshipped, they didn't encounter the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They didn't experience the awe and majesty of God. They weren't shaken by his holiness. They weren't transformed. But worship that is not merely tradition, worship that is truly seeking God anew, is transforming. Seek God and be changed. To not be changed when encountering God is a scary position to be in. In verse 12, God says to Israel, I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. None of Israel's backroom dealings or secret scams are hidden from God's sight. He says, I know. In verse 6, Amos calls Israel, seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire and devour you. And no one in Bethel will be able to quench that. And at the very end of verse 17, Amos alludes back to the Exodus. When God passed through the midst of Egypt and took the firstborn from every house that had not sacrificed a Passover lamb. At the end of Amos 5.17, he says, I will pass through your midst, Israel. That same angel that passed through Egypt will now pass through Israel. Will they be prepared? Consider finally this third aspect of the hope that Amos offers. Amos says third, seek God and good. Seek God and good. Look at verses 14 and 15. Here they echo this earlier call to seek God and live in verses 4 and 6, but with an important difference. Now it doesn't say seek God, it says seek good and not evil, that you may live so that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate that it, it, it may be, perhaps, the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Amos is saying that we have to hold these two calls together. Seek God and seek good. The two have to go together or we'll fall into one or two of two traps. One error is to seek the good 
to seek good, justice, whatever, righteousness, without seeking God. You can pursue justice, you can attend every protest, sign every petition, support the latest causes on social media, but miss God. But this just leads to problems. Without God, justice becomes a wax nose that we can shape however we want. Look how quickly in our society things that were considered wrong two decades ago are now considered right, and in fact it's wrong not to support them. Without God, justice is just a wax nose that gets turned around. Justice turns into a PR campaign, trying to convince people that justice is on one side or another of the latest political controversy. The good becomes, that we seek becomes a moving target. And even if we can keep up with the moving target, if we're honest with ourselves, none of us are perfectly just and prepared to stand before the just, righteous, holy God of Israel. None of us are good enough to stand on our own before God who is like a flame. But there's a second error. We can also seek God and not seek good. We can go to church, sing hymns, follow along with the prayers and the sermon, and yet remain closed off to being changed. We can claim to worship a just and righteous God, but we don't seek justice and righteousness in our own lives or in our community. We seek God, but we don't seek good. We love God or claim to, but we don't love good. And we don't seek to establish justice in the gates. But Amos holds these two calls together. He says the way of life is to seek God and good. We seek God by repenting, as we saw last week, by joyfully following his commands, by reflecting God's values. As Amos puts it, we work to establish justice in the gates. We seek out fair judges, even if their rulings aren't what we want to hear. We listen to those who speak the truth, even if it's uncomfortable, because we are committed to the true God, because we're committed to Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and life. Instead of trampling and taxing the poor, we share God's concern for justice for the poor and needy, and we seek to alleviate poverty. Truly seeking God means being changed, being transformed by our encounter with him. Amos says God is like a fire, a fire that will either refine us or consume us. Note that this isn't simply an intellectual exercise affirming the right causes and viewpoints. Amos says, hate evil and love good. We need to cultivate our dispositions and desires. We need to train ourselves to love what God loves and hate what God hates. Then Amos says at the end of verse 15, perhaps, perhaps the Lord God Almighty will be, have mercy on the remnant. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious. Perhaps. Israel is called unconditionally to seek God and good, but it's no guarantee that they will certainly live through the coming judgment, that disaster will be averted. Why isn't it a guarantee? Because there, Israel's hope and our hope is in God's mercy, in God's grace. By definition, mercy is not getting what we deserve. By definition, you can't earn grace. It's something freely given. 
And so this isn't a bargain to seek God for this amount and then he will return with this amount of grace. It's only God's mercy that Amos's hope is grounded in. But this offer of or this hope that Amos offers is grounded in God's character. This is the God who revealed himself to Moses and said, "The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love." keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Israel has no right to God's mercy. They haven't earned it. But God is a merciful and gracious God. He is a God who is patient, who is quick to forgive, but a God of justice nonetheless who will not clear the guilty. So Amos' call to unconditionally seek the Lord is linked to hope that Israel might live. A hope that's grounded in God's character. Perhaps, perhaps the Lord will have mercy. Perhaps. It may seem like a slim hope in Amos' day. After all, God has already begun the funeral dirge. But we know more of the story than Amos. We know how God's character as both just and righteous and merciful and gracious all meet together as they're revealed in his son, Jesus Christ, who we already heard this morning was given so that we might have eternal life, who entered our world of injustice, who was abhorred for speaking the truth, who was afflicted for his righteousness, who was betrayed for a bribe, who turned aside for the needy in the gate who gave his own life to give life to those who were dead in their trespasses. God's already begun singing the funeral dirge in Amos' day. It sounds like Israel is already dead and there's no hope. And yet Jesus, through his work, gives hope even that there would be life for the dead. In Jesus Christ, who has judged for humanity's injustice, that God might be both just and merciful to his people, we see God's character revealed. Jesus shows us what God is like, the God who we are called to seek. And so let us seek God, not mere tradition. Let us seek God open to being changed, to being transformed, to being shaken when we meet him. Let us seek God and good, that we might reflect God's values, that we might love what he loves and hate what he hates. Let us seek the God of mercy and grace who is revealed in his son who he gave for us. Let us pray. Father, in our own Merit, we have no right to demand your mercy. And yet we lay claim to your mercy and grace because it has been won for us by the work of Jesus Christ, your own Son, who you gave for us. And so we see that although you are a God of justice, who does not clear the guilty, you nevertheless deal with our guilt. You take it upon yourself to deal with our guilt so that you might have mercy on us. Let us ever seek you that we might live. 
Let us seek you and not cling to mere tradition. Let us seek you expecting to be transformed as we meet you in worship. Let us seek you and seek your good way. Let us seek to establish justice as you call us to in the book of Amos. Let us seek to set up ways of living that bring life to others in our community. Let us live in a way that mirrors your own son's life, giving ourselves for the good of others. We know, Lord, that this will only happen, that we'll only truly seek you as your spirit is at work within us. And so we ask this morning, even as we begin to sing your praises once more in a moment, we ask that your spirit will be at work within us, teaching us to love what you love, to hate what you hate, drawing us to seek you. Amen.